0: Well, good morning, again to all of you. It's great to see you here, and I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Matthew's Gospel in the twenty-eighth chapter. If you'd like to use your pew Bible, that would be page eight hundred thirty-five, and I'm going to read the first <clears throat> the first ten verses of this chapter. This is uh, Matthew's account uh, of the resurrection. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel, the Lord, descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. Now, see, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, this morning I ask you, please, that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, this week I came across an article on the... uh, World Wide Web, and this is, a, this is an article of quotes ascribed to celebrities who are atheists, and I thought it was fascinating. In fact, I think this article, these quotes could be the basis for a great conversation on Sunday school in terms of Christian apologetics and understanding culture, but anyway, Morgan Freeman is one of my very favorite actors, um, and he has actually played God in two movies, but he doesn't believe in him. And he put it this way. He said, my belief system doesn't support a creator as such, as we can call God, who created us in his, her, its image. I mean, has anybody ever seen hard evidence? Well, it may be a great surprise to Mr. Freeman, but the answer to his question is yes. Many people have seen hard evidence. And all the accounts of Jesus' resurrection in the New Testament are about the people who saw the hard evidence and how they responded. That's what it's about. People have seen the hard evidence. There was nothing natural, there was nothing natural about Jesus' resurrection. It was completely of God. I mean, three days after he died, he rose bodily from the dead. Now, many people have observed Happened to agree with him that the empty tomb in itself is no proof that Jesus lived again. That's not in itself proof that he rose from the dead. But that was not the point the angel was making, really, as he rolled the stone from the tomb's entrance so that people could see for themselves that it was empty. Listen to what the angel said. Listen to the angel's words. He said to the women, He has not. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. And the point here of the angel was really to underscore that Jesus had risen from the dead in the same body in which he had been crucified, because that is what he had said he would do. It was just As he had said it, his word, God's word, it's so, it's unbreakable. It's just as he said. It's just as the prophets had said centuries before Christ was born. Jesus had earlier taught in his ministry, early on, in fact, in John's gospel. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the temple he was referring to was his own body, the body in which he would be crucified. And decades after the resurrection, the apostle John was commenting on Jesus' words. He said, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Has anyone ever seen hard evidence? And the answer is yes. And the reason that the disciples of Jesus believed their eyes, that what they saw was real, was because the Word of God had said that it would happen. So what we have reported here, actually is not only hard evidence, people who saw hard evidence in the sense of solid evidence, but what we really do have here is really hard evidence. It's really hard evidence in the sense that it is hard for us to accept. It's hard, for, it's hard evidence, but it's hard for us to accept. It's really hard evidence. It's hard for us to accept because our own disbelief in God leaves us so prejudiced against him in our minds and so hardened against him in our hearts and so resistant in our wills that we cannot accept that anyone has seen hard evidence. If only were we just neutral on this question. If we were just neutral on the question of God but had a real desire to know truth, we would then certainly take seriously the testimonies of those who saw the hard evidence. We would study what they said, we would discuss it, we would weigh it. All of us, all the world would even pray, God, if you are real, show me. But instead, it is so easily and often dismissed. We would not begin by assuming that after Jesus' death, that those who testified that he had risen did so because they were so devoted to him. Not at all. Not when all the evidence points in exactly the opposite direction. That after Jesus' death, those who became his devoted followers did so because they had seen the evidence that he had risen. This morning, I'm going to focus with you on the term in this account of Jesus' resurrection that's actually repeated more than any other term as a noun and as a verb, And the term is fear. Fear. Isn't that amazing? There was fear at the empty tomb. And there was fear after Jesus met the two Marys on their way out of the garden. So at the tomb, the terrifying angel says to the women, fear not. And after they had worshipped Jesus, after they knew he had risen on their way out of the garden, Jesus still says to them a second time, fear not. What is fear? Fear is a way we respond to threat. Fear is a way we respond to threat. It's not about the past. It's not about the present. It's always about the future. It's about that next thing that might happen. Maybe in the next minute. Maybe in the next hour. Maybe in the next year. And if you ask the question, well, what was so frightening about the tomb? What was so threatening for the women? as they're about to go and tell the disciples. We ask, what, what are the th- these threats associated with, with Jesus' resurrection? How are these associated with Jesus' resurrection? These are questions I kind of, I want us to explore, I want us to think about together. I want you to think about the threat at the tomb. Put yourself for a moment in the place of a Roman guard. Sword and shield in hand, back to the tomb, face outward, You are fully armed. You are fully prepared for anyone who would attempt to break into that tomb. But you know, it's one thing to face someone breaking into a tomb. It's another thing to face someone who's breaking out of a tomb. I grew up watching scary movies. And those scary movies of that genre, they always had the the cemetery scene in which some innocent soul happens on a crypt that's been thrown open, broken open, and it's empty. what happens next? It's never good. It is never good. But what the soldiers faced actually was worse. They were not caught off guard by something that was devilishly Spooky, something sinister, something cloaked in darkness didn't suddenly jump out at them from behind and grab them. That's not at all what happened. No, no. Something far more terrifying. An angel descended. An angel appeared to them like lightning, like burning tungsten, fierce, and so overpowering as to remove the stone at the tomb's entrance in such a way as to make the earth shake. The Bible says it was a great earthquake. They they faced an angel bearing anger and power from God. They faced a divine warrior. And I'm not suggesting that the guards suddenly took a time out and they said, okay, let's sit down, bring out our whiteboard and write down all the lessons that we're learning here. I don't think that's what happened. But I do think they had to realize that they had been on on the wrong side about Jesus. That they had been wrong about God. That they had been wrong about themselves and the world in which they live. And now for them, what next? Of course they felt threatened. Of course they were terrified. Were they about to be consumed with fire? And then Mary Magdalene and the other Mary shared something of this same fear. The angel was, the angel was terrifying. It had to be terrifying to anyone. But unlike the guards, they also were facing something else. They did not know. The women did not know if perhaps someone had stolen Jesus' body as well. So it must have been very confusing for them and very frightening to them. But the angel spoke to all of their fears when he said this. When he said, fear not, I'm using King James, fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. I know that you seek him. You seek him. Now, these were the women who'd followed Jesus from Galilee to support him out of their own means, financially, financially. These are the women who had remained with him at the cross. These were the women who had followed behind the burial party led by Joseph of Arimathea to see where Jesus' body had actually been buried. And now these were the women who came early on the first day of the week with spices and ointments to further anoint and to care for the corpse of the one they loved. I know that you seek Jesus. And I want to say to you this morning that those who seek Christ, they have nothing to fear about His resurrection. Nothing to fear in His resurrection at all. Whether that it is too wonderful to be true or that it involved perhaps a terrible hoax or that you are too small or that you are too unworthy for this risen Savior or that you've been too much of a rebel for too long a period of time. You have no fear that you can't stand for what happens next when you consider the resurrection and seeking Christ. No fear at all. What if I believe all this? What if I embrace this hard evidence? You have no fear at all. And it really is apprehension and fear that many people have to get past in order to embrace the resurrection. There's nothing to fear. Jesus rose bodily from the dead after dying for our sins to share the life that he has with us. And to share that life with us now in a relationship that is characterized by faith. A relationship that is unbreakable by death and is characterized or will be characterized by sight, then not faith. And ultimately characterized by sharing in Jesus' own resurrection when he returns. So fear not, but believe. You'll love what comes next. You'll love what comes next. He came to save small, unworthy, rebellious, guilty people. And I want to say to everyone here today that there is so much more to you, each one of you, than you know. And God has so much more for each one of you, for each one of you, than you can imagine. But you really can only know them through Christ because he came to save you. You can only know them through Christ because it's through Christ that we are reconciled to God and brought into a right relationship with Him. He did not die on the cross simply to show us how much He loved us. He died on the cross as our sin bearer. He took our guilt upon Himself and died. If He had not taken the guilt of our sin on Himself, He would not have died. He would not have been there at all. I lay down my life for my sheep, he said, and I take it up again. But what are that other fear not that Jesus spoke to the two Marys after, the day had, after he had met them on their way uh, out of the garden? He greeted them in a kindly and familiar way. In fact, the term translated greetings is really a form of the admonition, rejoice. Or, and I think in English, you might say to each other, joy to you on seeing each other. He spoke like Jesus. He sounded like Jesus. He looked like Jesus. They knew he was Jesus. And they were thrilled about it. And unlike with the angel, they came up to him and they wrapped their arms around his his feet, his lower legs, and they, and they worshiped him. And you just have to imagine the happiness and the relief and the gratitude. And there was absolutely no sign of fear there. And yet again, here at this point, Jesus says to them, fear not. I suggest he wasn't speaking to the fear that they had felt at the tomb. He wasn't saying, don't fear what the dread angel might do to you. Any moment now, he wasn't saying that, that was past. They were at the exit of the garden. They were about to re-enter the world of doubting disciples and hostile enemies, adversaries of Christ, and they were about to re-enter the world with a commission, not the great commission that's at the end of Matthew's gospel, when Jesus spoke to all his disciples in Galilee, but the first commission, when he said, "Go and tell my brothers." to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. He was speaking to them in the context of the fear they would feel, or might feel, or would feel, as witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. There is a fear associated with accepting it. It's going to change your life. It's going to throw a lot of things in turmoil. Your worldview will not be the same. And there's a fear in bearing witness about the resurrection and telling others. Will Jesus' disciples believe us? As you know, they didn't. Will they hear this good news as news that's too good to be true, as we had thought? Will they think it is impossible? How do we make ourselves credible? Will our comfort and our peace and our joy be stripped away from us? Will will we be strong enough to face what we're going to have to, to face from people who cannot stand to have their worldview shaken with possibilities that they thought they had long entombed? We're not angels. What if we're there and we're the messenger? who brings them to the crisis of an empty tomb experience. What will they do with us when we have shaken them, when this message has shaken them to the core? There's a fear of embracing the resurrection. There's a fear of telling others. But Jesus told them. <laughs> he told them, do not fear. And why? Why? Because they had nothing to fear. And neither do we. The resurrection is true and it is wonderful. It had always been God's purpose to save this way. The entire Bible attests to this. Death must be destroyed. God will bring life out of death. He will restore the created order that's been ravaged by sin and death. The Bible always testified to this. That is nothing to fear. That's something to fear not. Rather believe. Because it is true. And what's more, We have nothing to fear because Christ assures us as his witnesses that he is always, this resurrected Savior is always with us. And this is a certain hope that we have in the face of any what next. And the fact that this is our hope from God, so it's certain, it's not whimsical, it's not a wish in the face of any what next assures us of this. As Mr. Hoy, my barber, my Christian Korean barber was reflecting on on me as he cut my hair this week it assures us of this God will cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God will work it all for good. He is with you. He's not against you. Fear not. Matthew concludes his gospel with this assurance as he calls, as Jesus calls his disciples to go, and make, go out and disciple the entire world, the nations of the world. He ends by saying, and behold. In other words, remember these words. Mark these words. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So what have we done this morning? We have looked at hard evidence, really hard evidence. In fact, evidence that is so hard and so firm that it stands forever and ever. Amen. I bless you. Let's pray together.